So I hope this is thought-provoking because we want to love like Jesus. How many of you know that's a perfect love? The Bible says that God is love. So uh, today, as we begin to start thinking about God being love and how much he loves us, the battlefield is within our mind. Does God really love me? And if I've made a mistake, does he forgive me? Yes, he does. Will he forgive me? Yes, he will. Does he still love me? Absolutely. So as we were embarking on stepping in for our thoughts, you can come on up, sis. Catherine and I um, had talked a little bit about, she's got, uh, felt like that the Lord had given her a message on actually the love of God. And I want to be able to have her share today what she feels like that the Lord has given her. So give Catherine a great big warm welcome to be able to come and and share with us today. I, I would just want to pray with you because I know it's nervous sometimes. It can be nerve-wracking. They are beautiful people and they love you. So we're just going to allow that to happen. Father, we just thank you for Catherine. We just thank you that the word that you've given her that she's going to bring forth today. And we just ask that it will help us provoke our thoughts of how much you do love us and are we loving like you. But God, I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus the law of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. And we are going to operate in that. Thank you for her clarity. Thank you for her heart in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Okay. Thank you. Wow, it's a Sunday morning. I feel like I have to do an introduction here. Okay, so... Um, Five-second introduction, right? So I hold a doctorate in ministry. That was fun. It was an accelerated course, and it, yeah. Um, if, if going to school could, like, lay you on your bed for the next week, that did it. That was hard. Um, I also hold a certificate in inner healing counseling. So um, a lot of what I do privately with individuals is teaching them how God loves them. And when we see how God loves us, then we're able to take that love, and we love ourselves that way, and we can love others that way. So, um, we'll take a deep breath here. <sighs> Slow down. Okay, we're okay. Um, okay, so love. It's okay if we talk about love, right? Love is the governing system of the kingdom. Um, it is the most powerful force in existence across every age, timeline, dimension, realm. If it exists, love is the most powerful force. It is more powerful than hate. It is more powerful than fear. It is the only thing that can actually demolish fear completely. Okay. Uh, it's the only thing that truly defeats evil. It changes hearts, and it can raise a person up to what God created them to be. Several years ago, several years ago, God challenged me to find evidence of his love in Scripture. So this is kind of easy when you look in the New Testament, but when you look in the Old Testament, it can get a little hairy. And... I always just kind of brushed over those parts I didn't understand until he insisted I look at them. 
So John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love each other in the same way that I have loved you. As I was digging through scripture, I discovered that the love of God is almost incomprehensible. It, it is difficult for us to compute the way that God truly loves us. But when we can grasp at least a portion of it, it will change everything about us and everything about how we love others. So this commandment to love each other in the same way that Jesus loved us was given to the disciples shortly before his journey to the cross. It is no longer love others as you love yourselves. So backtrack just a minute. Uh, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, and his response was, love God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. And the second, he said, was like it, love others as yourself. Well, flash forward to here. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's preparing his disciples to do ministry without him. And he says, now I want you to love the way that I love you. Um, how does God love us? That's the question we have to answer. So we're going to tackle that. Before we do, I want to talk about the power of words, because love is a word. It's more than a word, but it is a word. So words come in three forms. They are spoken, they are written, and they are thought. And Spoken and written words cause ripple effects in the spirit, in the natural. They affect you because those words were, they affect you, they affect the person or the situation the words were concerning, and they affect those who hear them and everyone else who's connected to them. Words that are thought affect you first and then they can affect the spiritual atmosphere around you. And then they affect those who encounter that spiritual atmosphere. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I first did the study on words, I didn't connect that thoughts change our spiritual atmosphere. To me, thoughts were just words, and they affected how you were, what you thought of yourself, how you treated yourself, and therefore how you treated others. But recently, over the last, I don't know, six months, I've started diving more into quantum level stuff, and uh, I, I love the quantum level because it helps explain some of the things that, to me, didn't used to make sense in scripture. But in this study, I discovered that thoughts are not just firings in our brain that cause us to respond. Thoughts actually affect your spiritual atmosphere around you. And because of that, they affect everybody else, too. So, let's see, I got off track here. Uh, spoken words can curse and bless. They can change minds and they can move mountains. They are a choice. Sometimes, thoughts can come in and they're not a choice, and we have to choose to look at them pastor's been talking about thinking about what you're thinking about. But spoken words are always a choice. 
Sometimes our mouth overruns the choice and we say what we didn't mean to say, but we always meant it. We thought it before we said it. So it's important to think about what we're thinking about. Written words are powerful. They have a direct and immediate and lasting effect. Written words have an impact that spoken words don't have because they have an underlying concept of importance and permanence attached to them. So if I'm standing here and I'm just talking to you like I am, about, I don't know, two-thirds of my words, you're not going to remember when you walk out the door. If you have it in your hand and you're reading it, you are more likely to remember it. Even if that is not your learning style, you're more likely to remember it. Something else about spoken words. Spoken words are interesting because when you think them and then you speak them, you hear yourself speak. And when you hear the words, they go back into your system and you process them again. Very interesting. Okay. Um, I, I, I love that science proves scripture. And, you know, Jesus talks about how... Uh, what's inside of us comes out when we speak. So there's, there's a Japanese researcher, he's dead now, but bless his heart, um, Dr. Masaru Emoto was a Japanese researcher and a spiritual healer. Um, during his studies, he took some water from a single source, divided it into two bottles. On one bottle, he taped the words, I love you and thank you. On the other bottle, he taped the words, you are disgusting and I want to kill you. And he let those bottles sit overnight. In the morning, he froze them and examined the crystals. And this is what he found. Tony, you've got those pictures? Okay, so the crystals that looks nice and pretty, that came from the bottles that said, I love you. The other one, is malformed. So there are some other examples as well. You can go ahead and throw them. So this one was interesting. Um, they took some water from one of the rivers. The river was polluted. That's the disgusting looking picture. The other one was after they prayed over the water. So if you ever question the power of prayer, just remember that. Your prayer changes stuff. Okay, so Dr. Emoto performed the same experiment using a variety of positive and negative words in different forms. He did spoken words, he did written words, he did thoughts only with the same exact results as some of the pictures you can hear, you can see. Um, I, I don't think you can hear the picture. I hope you can't hear the picture. Okay, <laughs> you can see in one picture how powerful, oh, we passed that. Sorry. So these were random bottles of water. The human body is comprised of almost 70% or more of water, depending on if you're properly hydrated, overhydrated, underhydrated. I'm underhydrated right now, so I'm probably a 70%. But if water, if the words can do this to water, what's it doing to you? What are your words doing to other people? What are your thoughts doing? 
So Dr. Emoto performed the same experiment using cooked rice. Now this experiment you can do at home and I'll tell you later how you can do it. And I do highly recommend this. Okay, so he took rice and he divided it into two jars. And on one jar, it was the same thing. I love you, thank you, it was positive words. The other side, I hate you, you're disgusting, negative words. And he let them sit for 30 days. And take a look, this is the result. Now this takes longer because it's manifesting at a more visible level. So he could have taken this in 24 hours and looked at it under a microscope like he did the crystals and he would have seen something similar. So this is just one picture. There's a couple of other pictures. Can you see the difference? Ooh, y'all got silent. Can you see the difference? So this is rice, it's grain. Imagine what it's doing to our bodies. Okay, so keep this in mind as we go through this because it's gonna be important as you um, think about what your words are doing to you and what your words are doing to others and the way that God loves you and how you can take that love and show it forth. All right, so let's look at how God loves us. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, have fervent and unfailing love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. It overlooks unkindness and unselfishly seeks the best for others. Proverbs 10:12. Hatred keeps old quarrels alive, but love draws a veil over every insult and finds a way to make sin disappear. 1 John 4:18. Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Psalm 36, 7. Oh God, how, extravag how extravagant, that's a big word, is your cherishing love, all mankind can find a hiding place under the shadow of your wings. Deuteronomy 3.22. Do not be afraid of the nations there, for the Lord your God will fight for you. This is how God loves all of us. 
He's patient. He's gentle. He's consistently kind. He always encourages us. He never shames or belittles. He lets us make choices. He lets us make choices, and he honors those choices. If we choose something he doesn't like, he doesn't force his will upon us. He gently guides us back to what is the right choice. He is not easily offended. He celebrates our accomplishments no matter how small they are. Next slide, Tonya, because I think I've got them out of order on my paper, so yeah. Uh, He celebrates our failures. Now, this was interesting because we assume that when we fail, we're done, we've made a mistake, it's horrible. And God looks at failure and he says, well, you're one step closer to figuring it out, so you've done good. Thomas Edison, before he made the light bulb, anybody want to guess how many tries, how many times he failed before he succeeded? Does anybody know? That's a little over, but close, but that's good. So he said 10,000. It was actually 1,000 times. And somewhere about, you know, five, six, seven hundred times, somebody asked him, why doesn't he just stop? And he said, well, I've not failed. I've just found a way that doesn't work. Okay. So God celebrates our failures. God is the safe place we can run to no matter what's going on, no matter what we've experienced, no matter how we're feeling, no matter what we've done. We can always run to him. We can always tell him. And he's not going to smack us. He's not going to tell us we've done a really bad thing. What he is going to do is he's going to say, listen, it's okay. I love you anyway. Now stand up and try again. He never stops believing in us. This was really hard for me. To find out that no matter what, no matter how many times I step into something and quit, no matter how many times I hit that brick wall, and listen, I've hit a lot of brick walls, my head gets sore. He never stops believing I can do it. Whatever it is, usually it's what he's sent me to do, and I'm not smart enough to pay attention to his arrows And I'm trying to do it my way because I think my way's faster and I slam into that brick wall. So I take a step sideways and I slam into a brick wall. (laughs) Um, His way's usually best. He doesn't take no as a rejection. We as humans have a tendency, and it's kind of how society teaches us, that when somebody tells us no, they're rejecting us. God doesn't look at it that way. When we tell him no, he sits back and goes, okay, I'm just going to wait for you to figure out that what you're doing is not the right way. And eventually we're going to come back and say yes. He constantly pursues us. There's not ever been a time when... I have turned around and said, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to do my own thing. 
that he didn't say, okay, but I'm going to follow you there. And he'll follow me. And the entire time, he's saying, listen, really, if you'll just come back over here, you'll find out it's much better. But, I mean, if you really want to go that way, I'm going to walk the road with you, but you're going to come back over here. I need you over here. Come on. He never stops pursuing us. It doesn't matter. David said, it doesn't matter if I go hide under a rock. You're still there. You find me. It doesn't matter if I'm in the bottom of the ocean. You find me. It doesn't matter if I go to the depths of hell. Your presence is still there. No matter where you go, he's going to pursue you. And you can't get away from his presence. Okay, where are we at? That was fun. Um, (laughs) He never gives up on us. Yes. He forgives us over and over and over. Anybody made the same mistake like more than once? Thank you for your honesty. I'm glad I'm not the only one. (laughs) Okay. So it's not because I didn't want to do the right thing. It's because my brain said hey, you've always done it this way, so do it this way, and I did it. And afterwards, I was like, man, are you, I can't believe I did that. God said not to do it, but I did it anyway. Okay, we're going to try it again. Okay, we go this, oh, we're supposed to go this, no, that was the way that God didn't want me to go. And you know what he does every time? Every time he goes, I forgive you, try again. Never once does he say, you are such an idiot. Why don't you just do it the way I told you to? Never once. He's like, listen, did it work? No? Well, I forgive you. Come over here. Okay. So he forgives us over and over and over and over and over. He understands the learning curve. Listen, for years, I used to beat myself up. I'd make a mistake and I'd be like, I, I don't get it. Why do I keep doing the same things? And I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I keep doing these things over and over. And I'm trying really hard to get it in my brain, and I, I'm struggling. He's like, daughter, I get it. I understand the learning curve. And then he took me into the New Testament where it says, Jesus learned obedience. We are often taught that Jesus was always perfect, never made a mistake, didn't have any issues. Well, I'm not going to tell you that he wasn't perfect because he was, but he had to learn obedience. He had to learn what it meant when his mama said, listen, don't go over there. Do you think at three years old he went over there? Probably. He had to learn how to obey. While we are learning to obey, God gets it. And he's not mad at us for not getting it right away. Okay, off my soapbox next. God doesn't use fear. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more later. But fear is not part of his character. It's not what he does. He's just, he is not fair. He's just. But he doesn't use fear. There's not ever going to be a time when he's going to tell you that if you don't do exactly what he wants you to do, he's going to squash you. 
So you got to understand that the only reason we exist is because he thinks about us constantly. We'll, okay, we'll get into that. <laughs> he always tells us the truth. Um, <clears throat> there's not a time when I've ever found that God lies to me. In fact, scripture tells us that the father of lies is Satan. And it tells us that Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And we need to listen to God's truth above all else. Okay, he teaches us how to live well. Uh, when I hit, I don't know, high school-ish, senior high school, just out of high school, somewhere around there. I was taught life doesn't come with a book of instructions. Guess what? Life comes with a book of instructions. It's called the Bible. Okay. So, do you think we deserve to be loved the way that God loves us? Why does God love like this? More specifically, why does he love us like this? He loves us like this because we are in Christ. St. Augustine said, y'all know who St. Augustine is, right? Okay, so he was a church father many years ago. He's a dead guy. Love him, love his work, beautiful. But anyway, he said, if God is love, then in him, contained within him, must be a lover, a beloved, and a spirit of love. God the Father is the lover. He loves his beloved Jesus. They are bound together by the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of love. Now, Colossians 1 Verses 16 and 17 says, By him, meaning Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created and exist through him. That is by his activity and for him. And he himself existed and is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. His is the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. That's the amplified version. That, that actually, I love that scripture, and it brought it to life for me a little more. So that was cool. Listen, he loves us this way. Because we are in the beloved, and he loves the beloved this way. So that's why God loves this way. But what he wants us to do is love ourselves this way and love others this way. So anybody ever seen the show Mythbusters? Yeah, yeah, we got a few people. Okay, good. I'm not alone up here. 
we used to watch it all the time. It's kind of a cool show. So people would write in or submit something that they had heard and wanted to know if it was true. And these two guys, I don't remember their names, doesn't matter. These two guys would try to make it happen. So um, we've seen them blow up things. We've seen them crush things. We've seen them. Anyway, sometimes they could prove that it was not a myth, that it was true, something that could actually happen. And sometimes they would prove that it was just a myth, an old fable. Well, today I want to talk about some myths that are somewhat prevalent both in the church and out of the church. And we're going to talk about these because they deal with how we think about ourselves and how we think about others. For some of you, these myths, you're going to hear them and your brain is automatically going to go, yeah, I know that. But for some of you, you've got it here, but you ain't got it here yet. And we need to get this one straightened out. Okay, myth number one. Love must be earned. Most of our lives, not by any fault of anybody in particular, but most of our lives, we are taught that love must be earned. Consider school. You do good on your homework, you get a good grade, you get a sticker, you get a piece of candy, whatever. Consider work. You do a good job, you get a promotion. We learn that when we perform well, we are approved. And when we are approved, we are loved. And it's not something scripture teaches us. It's not something that's ever taught from the pulpit. It's something we learn in life. But Jeremiah 31.3 says... I never quit loving you and never will. Expect love, love, and more love. Romans 8.38. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I am convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. Listen to me. Everybody listen carefully. There is no one God loves more than you. Do you hear me? There is no one God loves more than you. You have nothing to do with how or why he loves you. His love for you is not based on who you are or what you've done. His love for you is based on who he is and what Jesus has done. The very nature of God is a covenant of love made between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of love, Holy Spirit. You, my friends, are loved from the foundations of the very existence of all things. Before 
you had the option of choosing good or evil before you even knew that these things were options. Before you even knew what they meant, you were already loved. There's nothing you can do. You have no power to change the depth of God's love for you. You can't change how he loves you or why he loves you. He loves you because you exist. And that's all there is to it. Myth two. Your sin is different. When I first wrote this out, it wasn't that your sin was different. It was that some sin is different than other sins. When I was younger... I grew up in some super denominational churches. And I remember sitting in meetings because of my mother's position in the church. I remember sitting in meetings about how the leaders were doing this sin or that sin, and it was being covered up. It was like, that was okay. It was okay that the pastor was watching pornography. But the father of two sitting in the congregation, oh my goodness, he had to go to counseling. He could not be in anything in the church other than to sit in the congregation because of it. They judged the sins differently, but it was the same sin. Do you think my sin is different than pastors? Oh, y'all are so quiet. Man. Yes, but God doesn't see sin differently. If I lie, it is not different than somebody murdering. God sees it as the same. It's still sin. If, if a husband has an affair, it's not different in God's eyes than someone who is doing drugs or worshiping an idol it's still sin and in justice God will judge sin Romans 3:23 for everyone has sinned we all fall short of God's glorious standards can I confess something there was a time when I wasn't sure you were sinning ever Pastor Virginia. I didn't even realize that was a thought until God brought it up. I, uh, and, and honestly, the day he brought it up was the day he told me about the learning curve. And he was like, listen, even she sins on a daily. And I'm like, wait, what? Okay, that makes me feel better because that means if she sins and I don't have to know what it is, but God said she does it, so I believe him, then, okay, I feel better. <laughs> what we've done, our thoughts of what sin is, is not what God says in his word. In the, in the Greek, in the Greek, in the New Testament, the sin, and I don't know, did you have this in no. there? Okay. Sin literally means to miss the mark. 
If we were to think that we just missed the mark, we missed the mark. To God's standard, we missed the mark. We missed the mark. What we think sin is, is the wrong that we did. Okay? So if we really understand what God's saying about sin, we've missed the mark. I missed the mark of, of being the best husband I possibly can be. I missed the mark of being the best dad I could possibly be. I, you know, we miss the mark every day. We go through some of these things and realize that. But with that sin that's there, missing the mark, God's grace is even more so. So whatever I mess up at and I miss the mark, how many of you know God's grace doesn't come in underneath it? God's grace comes in to cover it. Are you with me? Because there's times where my faith is, you're, you have more faith than I have faith in certain things. You know, nobody had a problem with faith today when they came in and sat down. They didn't check the chair to see if it was going to hold you, right? You just, you just by faith, you knew you came in and you sat down. But sin literally in the Greek means to miss the mark. It means to miss, to miss the mark. Everybody say miss the mark. So that's why, Sasha, when we look at things like that, we're looking at, okay, I made a mistake, I messed up, I did something I shouldn't have done, I was mean or unkind or whatever that might be, but I missed the mark. So when she's talking about God's looking at that, he's not saying, oh, okay, this sin here, this one's worse than this one, so you've got to spend time here, <laughs> and this one is greater than this one. We just missed the mark. He's looking at that from that standpoint. But when he looks at our sin... He looks through the blood of Christ, and he doesn't see the sin. Doesn't give you a right. Listen to me. Doesn't give you a right to miss the mark. But what he does is he looks through that, and he knows that we're forgiven because of Christ, and he sees us as the righteousness of God. And that's a whole nother message. But this is what we're talking about, being able to deal with your thoughts of how much God loves you. And that's where our challenge here. What was the next slide, Tanya? Our sin and mine are deserving of punishment under the law, but they have been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus. Myth number three. See, I didn't have to add any more because he did it for me. That was great. <laughs> Myth number three. You got to clean up first, and then God will love you. One of the saddest things that I ever heard, I met my biological father, oh, I don't know, it's probably been five years now, just a couple years before he died, and we, well, it's like, actually, it's been longer than that, my goodness, it's been like 10 years. We were going to a church in Laverne at the time, and I invited him to church, and he said, listen, he said, I will go see God when I quit drinking. Listen to me. This is a common thought process in the church and out of the church. It's a common thought process to think, I need to clean up first. I've got to get rid of my bad habit. I've got to get rid of my addiction. I need to quit whatever, fill in the blank, before I can come to Jesus. On his deathbed, I got to talk to my dad. And I asked him, I said, now, I said, 
do you know Jesus? Because no matter what else has transpired between us, that was the most important. He wasn't a father to me. He was never there. So I didn't have a personal relationship with him. But it was more important to me that before he took his last breath, that he knew Jesus loved him, that he accepted God's forgiveness and accepted Jesus into his life. And he did over the phone just a week before he died. Now, in all reality, if God had required me to clean up before I came to him, it would never have happened. There are things in my life that y'all don't know about. There are things in my life pastors don't know about, and they know a whole lot about my life. They know things about my life that none of you know. But if God had required me to address those things before I came to him, it wouldn't have happened. Isaiah 55.3, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters And you who have no money, come by grain and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Simply accept it as a gift from God. Jesus never required people to clean up and make themselves presentable before coming to him. He notoriously touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable. He did not send them away and say, you have to go put on some clean clothes first. He did not send the lepers away and say, listen, you've got to change your clothes and change your ways. Cover up all of these parts of you that are nasty and falling off before you can come see me. No, he reached out. He touched them and he healed them. He embraces the dirt, the disease, the addiction, the sin and all. Because when he embraces you, it all leaves on its own. You don't have to fight for it. Myth number four, I'm going to try to speed up a little bit here, but I might not, I don't know. Fear stops sin. Fear makes people stop sinning. Listen, I have been into denominations that they, this is what they preach. I hate doom and gloom preaching. Sin is bad. Missing the mark is bad. It's not a good thing. If you are willingly choosing to walk in sin, you need to repent. Simple as that. Hell is real. It is a place you're going to go if you haven't received Jesus. That's true. I don't want you to end up there because it's a really nasty place. I don't know firsthand. Thank you, Jesus. But I've heard the stories and the testimonies of people who have died and come back or who have been taken in the spirit. And I believe them because they line up with what scripture tells us about hell. But do you realize that when most people, when you tell them they're going to hell because they're sinning, the most you're going to get out of them is fire insurance that has no hope of preventing fire. Yes, Jesus preached hell. Yes, Jesus told them they needed to stop sinning. But you know what else he preached? He preached love. He preached love because it is eternal and unadulterated love of God that causes him to be patient with us and show kindness towards us. And it is that kindness that draws us to repentance. And there's no fear in true and perfect love. 1 John 4, 18, there is no room in love for fear. 
well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, whether it's fear of death, fear of judgment, is not one yet fully formed in love. The most powerful force across every age, realm, timeline, and dimension is the love of God. True love is unshakable, unmovable, unchangeable, and unafraid of a person's sins, demons, and issues. It wraps itself around a person and penetrates those places that have been unwanted, unaccepted, unvalued, and rejected with a deep sense that no matter what that person, no matter what, comma, that person belongs, is wanted, is accepted, is valuable, and has something of value to give. The perfect love of God casts out fear and causes people to rise up out of that pit. It gives them the strength and the courage to fight, and it leads them to victory. So if you're going to preach hellfire, please, please make sure you preach God's love too. Okay, retrain your brain. It was just a catchy phrase. I liked it. It worked. So we've talked about the power of words in all forms. We've looked at how God loves. We've hopefully destroyed some of the myths that can limit how you love. Let's talk about how we can retrain your soul and your brain. If you're going to love yourself and love others the way that Jesus loves you, then we've got to retrain the brain. We've got to change perspectives. From our perspective, we see in the natural. I look and I can see all of these beautiful people here. And I can look and I can see somebody doing something they shouldn't be doing. I can experience in the natural someone's bad attitude, someone's meanness. But if I ask God to show me what he sees, he will take me above what I can see. And he will show me why they're doing that. And he will show me how I can uh, properly talk to them so that they feel his love. Ask God to show you what he sees. When you see what he sees, instead of looking at what you see, yeah, it changes what you expect and how you think and speak. Treat yourself and others the way you want to be treated. We've all heard the golden rule, do unto others what you want them to do to you. It's actually scripturally based, so that's cool. But a lot of times, we can be nice to others. We'll give others the grace, but we won't give ourselves that same grace. Okay, so um, if I'm working on a computer and I can't get it to function right, I'm going to be really upset with myself because I should know what I'm doing, right? But if pastor is working on the same computer, I'm going to be a whole lot more patient with him because he's not quite as technologically sound as I am. So, but what I need to remember is that, listen, I'm doing something I've never done before and I need to give myself the grace to learn it. Love isn't just a noun. It's a verb. It's an action. 
It's what we do. It's how we think, how we speak. It's, it's our physical stuff. Consider how you want to be treated in a situation and do that. Treat yourself and your others like that. Be intentional. Okay, so um, just, just a quick show of hands. How many of you would just intentionally tell yourself you're a horrible person? Just raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you would say that to somebody else? Like not being mad at them, just out of the blue, just be like you're a horrible person. <laughs> I got one person. And yet, so <laughs> hey, we, we, it's a process. It's just a learning process. It's okay. But so many of you raised your hand when I asked you if you would tell yourself that you're a horrible person. But you wouldn't do that to somebody else? Treat yourself the way you would treat others. Be intentional about it. Look at yourself in the mirror. Look yourself in the eye. Like the mirror is the only place you can actually look yourself in the eyes. And it's creepy. But do it. Because when you do and you start speaking to that person in the mirror, you are going to change how you feel, what you think, what you do. Okay, I got to move on. Don't entertain fear. The default governing system of heaven is? Oh, come on. We started with this. The default governing system is? Love. Okay. See? Now I know how many of you are awake. And fear is contrary to love. Fear is a liar. It intimidates. It belittles. It oppresses. It squashes. It destroys. It opposes abiding love. The thing of which you are afraid becomes your God and controls what you do, what you say, what you think, and how you treat others. When fear comes in, you've got to grab a hold of it with both hands, wrap it tightly in love, and toss it in a deep pit. Let's do that right quick. Just take a couple of minutes. I'm trying to wrap this up. Um, Think about something you're afraid of. Everybody got it? Okay. Ask God to show you, one, the lie that is feeding that fear, and two, his truth. If you've got your truth, just stick your hand up. I know some of you aren't going to participate in this, and that's okay. You'll do it later. Promise. Now, with a conscious decision, choose God's truth. Take a deep breath in and inhale God's love and peace. And exhale and blow the fear out. Now take another deep breath. And as you exhale, say, I choose the truth of God's love. And say it like you mean it. And take one more deep breath. 
For some of you, that little exercise right there, you felt a difference. Some of you didn't, and it's okay. Because fear isn't just an emotional thing. And sometimes it gets so embedded in us that we've got to address it multiple times before it actually completely just goes away. But that little exercise is something you can do anytime. You might have to repeat it, but the truth of God, the truth of God's love will renew your mind and transform your brain. There's a lot of science behind that that I, I actually rewrote this so that I wasn't diving too much into that because I had to spend all day on that. But there's a lot of science that shows how when you choose, when you make the choice, it literally changes your brain. It literally changes how your brain works. It changes how... Uh, how all of the, the little neurons and electrons and all of that go in your brain. A whole lot of science behind it. Super cool, look it up. Or, you know, ask them because they've been studying it too. <laughs> okay, number four, give without expectation. When you love, you give without expectation. Grace, mercy, compassion, forbearance, these things are not given with the expectation of receiving the same in return. God doesn't give you grace with the expectation of you giving him grace. He gives you grace because he knows you need it, and he doesn't really care whether you give it back to him because that's not what it's about. Give yourself and others these things, grace, mercy, compassion, forbearance, without expectation of seeing them returned. Look with God's perspective to see how giving to yourself and others can bring joy and do that. Love first the way God loves. There's a motivational quote that says, be the change you want to see. Before you love others, love yourself. Before others love you, love them. Love the way God loves you so you can be the change that you want to see in others. God loved us first so that we would know what it was to love ourselves and others. He didn't expect us to love him first. He showed us first. Do that. Keep your love on. This is a big thing, especially in today's society. This world insists that love must be earned. No matter what mistake you or others make, Never, ever, ever turn your love off. It's okay to put up boundaries. Boundaries are love. They show love to yourself, and they show love to the one who hits those boundaries. But don't ever stop loving. Don't make yourself earn love not from yourself and not from others okay I don't want anybody to raise your hand on this but I want to give this as an example because it works really well um, if you've ever tried to lose weight 
I'm guilty of this one, so this is kind of close for me. There came a point in my life when I looked in the mirror and I went, I do not like what I see. I am quite a bit heavier than I was when I moved to Oklahoma, and I swear it's because I crossed the state line because I was 135 pounds there, and three months later I'm at 160, and I'm like, nothing changed. But I crossed the state line, so I blame it on the air. And here I still am, so, you know, no wonder. But, <laughs> but what happened was I grew up in a society that said if you are skinny... If you weigh this much, here's your weight chart, and if you are properly inside your weight chart, you are beautiful. And I am outside of my weight chart. I am majorly outside of my weight chart. It's not for a lack of effort. It just is. There are some biological things going on, and I haven't got them figured out yet, and it's okay. But I had to make a conscious choice. One day I stood in front of the mirror, and I said, look, You've got to be okay with you. Not just part of you. You've got to be okay with all of you. Every curve, every fat roll, every part. And when you're okay with every part of you, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I had to keep my love on towards me. So... There came that place where I had to keep my love on. I had to make the choice. Make the choice to love yourself. No matter what. In a world that thrives on offense, fear, lies, subjugation, you must choose to intentionally love. You can restrain, you can retrain your brain to focus on love instead of hate but it's a conscious choice. Changing your perspective, treating yourself and others the way you want to be treated, refusing to entertain fear, giving without expectation, loving the way God loves, keeping love on will, over time, change your brain. Remember the rice experiment? Rice didn't change overnight. It changed over time. Just like the rice, you can change if you're persistent and intentional. Okay, I got to wrap this up. We, uh, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. I got two minutes. I can close this in two minutes. We're good. Okay, here's what I want you to remember. God loves you perfectly. You cannot change the way or how much God loves you. You can change the way you love yourself and others. Your words whether thought, spoken, or written, have the power to affect you and others. And you can train your brain to always follow love. So, what do we got here? Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, when you leave here today, I want you to take some time. Consider your thoughts and your words. Practice intentionally loving yourself work on training your brain use the things we've discussed use the exercise that we did to combat fear the more you practice the easier it becomes i promise it really does the other thing i want you to do yeah 
we're done. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to do the rice experiment. Because when you see it for yourself, it changes it. It changes, you own it. When you own it, when you own it, it becomes yours. And when it becomes yours, you can take hold of it and lock it into yourself. So I want you to do the rice experiment. Uh, Cook rice, divide it to two containers. One container is love, one container is hate. Choose how you want to talk to it. Words, written words, thoughts, spoken words, you choose. Cook the rice. Okay, where was I? Oh, yeah. Um, Be persistent and intentional to each container. Do this for 30 days. You may start to see some changes after two weeks, but give it 30 days. In 30 days, you will have a great conversation piece, I promise. Okay, I got to stop, so I'm going to close this out and give it back to Pastor. Go ahead and stand up, please. So I just want you guys to be able to take something home with you. Number one, you're challenged. Because I don't know about you, but I know I don't love like God loves. But I want to. And if we're created in his image and in his likeness, then I can. So it's not that the capability is not there. It is there for us to be able to do it. We've been talking about thoughts, and I want you to begin to start thinking about how much God loves you. Because God is love. As she's given you an assignment, do the rice experiment. I want you to begin to think about your thoughts. And when those thoughts come in that I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. The truth is, I'm not, but in Christ, I am. And that makes us worthy, and that makes us good enough. So you have everything that you need in order to love one another. But the scripture talks about that they out there know that we in here belong to him up there by how much we love each other. So let's pray. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just thank you so much for this word that it goes forth. That we can begin to hear the word, but also be doers of the word. And that you are, we're quick to... Forgive us, God, when we make mistakes and we operate in ways that we uh, maybe not be honorable to you. But, God, I thank you that there is a blessing that's attached to this word today. And that those were created to think about what they're thinking about. And let those things line up with you and your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's give Catherine another hand clap of praise. We bless you guys. If you're here today and you want some prayer, come let us pray for you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great afternoon.